You're listening to the Synergy Leadership Podcast, a discussion with engaging, empowering, and enlightening leaders about the greatest competitive advantage in business and entrepreneurship that often goes unrecognized, a team's energy. Here's your host, the woman who puts the energy in Synergy, Karen R. Jenkins. Hi, I'm Karen Jenkins with the Synergy Leadership Podcast, and I am so honored to have one of my special friends and guests, Matt Vady. I won't tell you what I normally call him. We might go there before the end of the segment, but just want to jump right in, Matt. I want to give you the opportunity to share as much great information as as I know that, that you possess. So why don't you start off by sharing with us who you are and a little bit about your business? Karen, I got to say, I'm a little disappointed with the way you just said Matt Vady compared to how you normally say Matt Vady. Maybe for everybody, you'll do that for us before we're done here. So yeah, first of all, an honor to be with you as always. Always get so much out of our conversations. I'm I'm excited to learn from you again today. But uh, yeah, as you mentioned, name's Matt Vady. I'm here in Columbia, South Carolina. I own a company called ERG Payroll and HR. We provide human resources outsourcing services to small to mid-sized businesses. We've been doing it since 2014. Uh, we currently serve nearly 500 companies around the country, and we are honored to serve KRJ amongst many other uh, great businesses headquartered here in South Carolina. And, you know, we also have branched off a couple other divisions of that company over time. We have a marketing company that we've started as well. We have a software company that we've started as well. And so over time, we just tend to find needs that our own business has and then try to solve them. Uh, sometimes through vendors or partnerships, but other times we just build what we couldn't find. And so I think that you'll probably recognize that theme anytime we get too deep into a conversation if something didn't exist. And then we said, all right, well, the heck with it. Let's just build it. And uh, that's kind of the mentality we have. That is so awesome, Matt. And and that's one of the things I love about you and your and your team is your resiliency and, and your ability just to kind of make things happen. So, of course, we're here to talk about Synergy Leadership. So I want you to tell us a little bit about your leadership journey and how your career prepared you for the position that you're in now. That's a great question, Karen. So we started this business back in 2014. And how did my career prepare me for that? Uh, That is an interesting thought. I, I think one of the things that pops to mind first when you talk about leadership for me is the word balance. And so one of the things that I really pride myself on trying to keep is not only the balance of you know, how to lead a team, when to press, when to hold back, but also how to work, uh, when I should be home, when I should be at work, when I should be present, when I should be pressing the gas. And, and I think that's a hard thing as a leader to come to terms with is understanding, you know, I've got a nine-year-old daughter, a seven-year-old son, and, and balance means a lot to me in that you will never find me at this office or very rarely find me at this office after 5 p.m. because I know that I've got a precious few moments in the evening with my family. And so I want to lead by that example that says, hey, look, we're a company that's about balance and that starts with the leadership. And now that also goes back to the, okay, hey, how are we going to interact with each other on a daily basis? You're never going to see me walking around uh, raising a, a big fuss about something, getting angry with people or, or you know, getting too overexcited. I think one of the things that I really try to pride myself on is, is being able to maintain some calm, being able to maintain some balance, even in the face of adversity, which is inevitably going to come. I think my personal history has what has been prepared me most for the adversity that comes with entrepreneurship, because one of the things that you will always note is that even though if you're growing a business, the, the graph goes you know, from bottom left to top right, you want that line always going up and to the right, right? That's what people want to see. They want to see hockey stick growth. They want to see a company growing. But when you look closely at the graph, 
it zigs and zags up and up and down, right? So even though it keeps going up, there's there's a lot of valleys in there. And so if you mentally can't be prepared for the valleys and you're going to struggle with that, then your team is going to struggle with it. And so that's the one thing that's that's probably been the biggest evolution for me as a leader is that ability to internalize some of those challenges, make sure that uh, remember back to when we face these struggles in the past and say, okay, how did we overcome that before? How do people that are better than me overcome these challenges? Something I certainly think and talk about a lot is I'm not scared to pretend like I'm out in the driveway and I'm eight years old again and I'm shooting the game-winning shot at the buzzer pretending to be Michael Jordan. I'm not scared to pretend like I'm Karen Jenkins for a little while and go, okay, hey, how does Karen handle this type of situation? I know she's always so cool and calm under pressure. What would I do if, if what would she do in this scenario? So that, that's one of the biggest things I think that has come to to, to fruition for me over the last couple of years is, is being willing to model and emulate leaders that I admire and, and being able to take the, the piece from Karen, the piece from Ken, the piece from Joe, the, the piece from each of those leaders that I like and I admire and then put them together and try to create my own style, which is far from perfect, but is, is at least adequate for the time being. Well, that is awesome. And, and I, you know, so many great nuggets there. And one thing I can tell you from my observation, and I think you and I connect because there's just so many similarities in, in, in our way of thinking. But when I think of executives, C-suite executives, and it's probably, it's probably worse for entrepreneurs because C-suite executives in major companies have people, right, to do things. When the IT Thing doesn't work, they call the IT person. You know, when there's something going on with HR, they call HR. When there's something else going on, they call the administrative assistant. When you're an entrepreneur, it's really you, in most cases, especially at the beginning, wearing all of those hats and trying to differentiate. So the ability to balance, especially when you're talking about balancing this whole entity, whether it's new or kind of new or growing, and balancing that up against your family. So I, I commend you on having that first and foremost in your mind because it could be, I have seen so many families that on the outside look happy. I have seen so many families that on the inside uh, look happy uh, until you leave the house. And I think a lot of that, that unhappiness comes in when the leader of that family or one of the leaders, say the mom or the dad, can't balance that work-life balance of, of what's important. You know, I'm, I'm even struggling with, I've always believed in work-life balance. My kids aren't young anymore. So I didn't miss a game. You know, I didn't miss a, a school function. I didn't miss a, a parent meeting. As a matter of fact, at one point in time, I was at my kids' school so much they thought I worked there. But that was, you know, again, my kids needed to know that I, I was important to them. And, and I know that your, your daughter and your son feel that not just from you telling them, but because you're showing them. So I, I just wanted to commend you on, on that. And the fact that you do that with your teammates as well says a lot for you as a leader, a whole lot, because you you walk the walk. Well, I you try. And I think that's that's one of the challenging things, too, is is where is the right example? Because there 
you know, when I was in my twenties, was I working 60, 70, 80 hours a week, trying to get ahead, trying to master my craft, trying to figure out what I wanted to do, try to, you know, grind and trying to get ahead. Yes, absolutely. I was. So I don't want to throw too many, I don't want to be too hypocritical to some of those folks who are here and doing those same things. And they know that they're trying to put in the hours. They're trying to get their 10,000 hours. They're trying to, you know, become a master of their craft. And I'm not going to be like, look, only work 40 hours a week. You're going to be successful that way. That's not necessarily always the truth, right? But we can still strike a balance and, and, there are also different phases of your life, different seasons, as they say. Oh, yeah. And I think to, to kind of further on that, I mean, one of the things that's probably the biggest challenge for most of us as leaders, I'd be curious to get your perspective, is balance from the perspective of how involved do I get in the issues at my company, right? So so when somebody comes in, I, I think it was uh, Ken Blanchard maybe talks about not dropping the monkeys off in your office, right? Like when they come in with a problem and you can help them, like how deep do you get on a daily? Because you can get sidetracked and get down in the weeds at any given term. And I know you've got friends or clients or or, or business partners who, you know, they say, ah, I'm just going to do it myself because I always get it done right. And this other person, every time I delegate it to them, it's, it's done wrong and I can't wait for Well, well, A, that's not how people learn is by you taking it over and, and doing it for them. But B, you'll never grow a business of any magnitude by doing everything yourself. And and also, though, I, I will state, you know, you have to, going back to that work-life balance thing, you have to get really clear on what's important to you as a leader. And if we wanted to raise a couple million dollars and we wanted to really blow the roof off and, you know, go for hundreds of employees over the next two years, then... I wouldn't be able to go home at five o'clock every day and I wouldn't be able to spend all this time with my kids and my wife and, and do the things that I want to do personally. So I have to determine what's more important to me. Right. And, and when you look at the, the reins of leaders of the most uber successful companies of all time, they tend to have really poor personal lives, you know, multiple divorces, you know, poor fractured relationships. And that's just not the life I'm trying to live. I'm not trying to be uh, on the fortune 500 with, uh, uh, you know, five marriages along the way. I'm trying to create a great business that makes an impact in the community. And I have an awesome family that I get to spend a ton of time with. So, so balance is always the, the, the force of nature for me. So, and, and you bring up a great point. So I, I can't remember who it was. I went to a conference and the person asked the question, are you in business to grow and run your business? Are you in a business to have a lifestyle? And I think that as entrepreneurs, we get to pick and choose which one we're going to do. So again, along the lines of what you just said, if you're growing an IT company, for example, to grow it and sell it, you are going to be working an exuberant amount of hours. But I still believe, even in those scenarios with husband or wife and kids, that you can leverage that time so that you might be spending time, a lot of time at the office, but not at the expense of your family. Mm-hmm. Because I've done a lot with, I go in the, mor- in the morning when the kids are at school, I'm I'm there when they're home. And then when they go to bed, you know, I instead of watching sitcoms and TV, I was looking at, you know, financial statements or, you know, reviewing reports or working on a project. So, you know, was I able to utilize my what you call so-called downtime to my advantage? And that's how I was able to do it. But then when you look at if I want to fix it, grow it and sell it, that's one thing. If I want to create a lifestyle, as you said, where I'm not trying to have 100 employees and I'm not trying to build this elaborate infrastructure, that's a whole different thing. And I think there are a lot of people that want to be able to 
build a legacy if it's not a multi it doesn't have to be a multi-million dollar legacy right it could be a it could be a, a couple of hundred thousand legacy or a million legacy to be able to bring in the revenue that you want to maintain a specific lifestyle can the family be together can the family travel you know can we buy the things that we want to buy and still have something left over i think those that's a nice little balancing act too and everybody doesn't want that multi-million dollar firm. Everybody doesn't want that big old monstrosity, you know, where you have all the other stress. Because I, what I've also found is the, is the bigger you grow, the more your culture changes. And I know that you're very culture-centric in your organization. Talk to us a little bit about how important culture is to you. Well, culture is everything, and it's a term that's a little bit overused in some capacities nowadays. But but I view culture as you know the impact that your surroundings have on you as a teammate inside of any organization. And so, what we do—it's interesting that we're having this conversation because today I've literally been spending time planning for tomorrow is our first quarterly uh, goals meeting of the year, rocks meeting of the year. And so we're recapping 2020. We're talking about our goals for 2021. We're, we're one of the things we do during this meeting is we review our 10 year vision, then our three year vision, then our one year vision. And then we boil that down into 90 day goals. And I just had a teammate in here looking over some of the information prior to jumping on this call. And he was like, yeah, that 10 year vision, knowing where we're going over the next 10 years is what got me so excited in my first few months here. And just understanding that you know, we're not going to be, a, you know, this size company, we are going to have a hundred plus employees. We are going to be doing this. And every time we look up every six months, we're progressing towards those goals and you can see how we're going to get there. And I think one of the biggest mistakes that leaders make is not casting a, a vision that others can see and not consistently articulating that vision to their team. And so that's a big part of your culture is, can people see where the organization's going? Can they see where they will fit inside the organization? I remember having a client come to me a few years ago uh, and he was like, you know, these dang millennials. Uh, I had one here for three months and he's already asking me what, what it's going to take for him to be a partner here. They were a CPA firm. And I said, oh, really? Yeah, that, that's, that's pretty audacious of him. What'd you tell him? Well, I didn't, I didn't tell him anything. You know, I just, uh, I kind of punted on the conversation. I said, well, what would it cost you to tell him what he would need to do and how long it would take for him to be a partner at your organization? And why is that such an audacious ask for somebody to be motivated? He didn't say, I want to be a partner right now. He said, what is it going to take for me to become a partner here? And, and when you're a leader who kind of holds the cards and says, ah, you know, this is my company, my company. Any, anytime I sit down with somebody and I hear them say the words, my company, more than once, I start to shudder. I'm like, oh, goodness. I know I don't want to work at that place. That sounds like hell. Uh, but but at the same time, I mean, I mean, for us, you know, there's this blend of it's interesting. I wrote a book about organizational culture. And one of the things I did for it was I interviewed a lot of CEOs at best places to work. And one of them told me, he said, look, you know, there are all these different things you have to do as it relates to your culture and human resources, you've got performance management, you've got education and training, you've got, um, you know, all, all the different facets of HR. He's like, you don't have to be an A plus across the board, but you've got to be at least a B at everything. 
And I think that's where a lot of people struggle is that they're maybe an A at one thing. They got a really fun place to work, but it lacks structure. And there are people that need structure and they, you know, or it's, it's a, it's a great culture on the face value. You know, the, the title of the book was ping pong is not a strategy because I, I always think about these places where they throw the ping pong table in the lobby and they try to make it look like a really fun place to work. But anytime you go use the ping pong table, you get in trouble and they're told to go back to work or you use the ping pong table at seven 30 at night because you're there working late nights so often that you can't go home and you're just looking for some way to de-stress after hours. And, and so it's sort of these falsehoods of what creates a great culture. Whereas in reality, you just need that balance to make sure you're meeting all your people at their need. You're allowing them to come to work and, and be in a safe place. You're meeting their sort of hierarchy of needs as it relates as a human inside of the workplace. We learn so much at work and I could go off on this topic for a long time. The, the amount of things that we learn as human beings at work that we might not learn any other place in the world is astronomically high. And particularly for people like me who came from single mother, latchkey kid, no father around when I was a kid. I was learning, you know, I learned from my coaches, my teachers, my friends. And then when I came to work, all those things became rolled up into one. So I learned all of what I, a lot of what I know today in the workplace. And so you have to accommodate for people like me who are growing as human beings inside of the workplace. And that's, that's a big challenge as a leader. It's so inspiring to hear you share your story because Everything that you mentioned, everything you talked about, and even when you talk about how you grew up, you know, it's about synergy. It's about leveraging the energy, the knowledge, the wisdom of everything that you come in contact with or, or that, are, that, that you can leverage to be the best you that you can be. To leverage, you know, if I don't have a father, I have father figures, right? If I don't have certain things, I have other things that 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 I can use in place of that to build this awesome model of, of leadership. And because you've been in that situation, I think it gives you that emotional intelligence that a lot of of, of leaders lack. For example, the, the the CPA you mentioned, you know, that was an opportunity for somebody that was really a leader that had true emotional leadership to take that person under their wing and have a brief conversation to say, this is what it will take. So, you know, one of the things that we do in, in helping organizations leverage their synergy is help them understand that there's that huge generational gap, right? Mm -hmm. And you do have, you know, for the first time, five and eventually it'll be six uh, generations working in the workforce at the same time. That never happened before. And when you talk about how having a, a say, a baby boomer and a millennial in the same room, if you're not teaching them how to leverage each other, then you're going to get that butting heads thing. And, you know, how dare this millennial walk in here and think, you know, as soon as they graduate from college, they're supposed to have a corner office and a BMW and the key to the washroom. And it's not always like that, right? Maybe they just need to be coached and, and guided. Now, they're not going to be the, I'm going to stay with the firm for 30 years people, but there's certain things that as baby boomers, you can learn from a millennial and there's certain things from a millennial that you can learn from a, a baby boomer. So for me, when we talk about that synergy leadership, it's really about understanding as that leader, how do I leverage that? And I love what you said about, you know, casting the vision. You know, people don't know how much they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. But they don't really know, they don't care about the job, right? 
as much if they're just coming in pushing a button. My job, what's your job? I come in and I push a button, okay? But it's more important to understand that what happens when you push that button. How am I contributing? I'm a link in a chain. What is the importance of what I do? And if they know here's the vision and this is the role that I play within that vision, there's a sense of ownership. There's a sense of pride that comes in that people wouldn't have if they were just told, I'm just, okay, I'm just going through the motions here. That's not fun. And you look at, the, the ability to to have a place. You said you're going to learn more at work than you do at home, but you spend more time and at least waking hours. In most cases, you spend more time at the job. So if you want to be there, why not have you there in a place of leveraging your energy, your synergy and, and helping you to become the best player that you can be? And the, and the way that that starts is to helping you understand where you fit within our model. Yeah, it's interesting. There's there's something I like to say about millennials that that a lot of folks uh, take take umbrage with, and that's you'll hear the term entitled a lot, a lot with millennials, right? And 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 first of all, let's just get clear: uh, we have these fancy new terms for the generations, and but it's called old people and young people, right? Like th- this battle has never changed. Like no matter what the name of the generation was, old people and young people have always been at each other, and that's because they're when you look at boomers and millennials, guess guess what age millennials' parents are? Well, they're boomers. And so a lot of the problems that you see in these millennials, boomers, you have one person to look at. But anyways, I, I, millennials aren't entitled. They just expect more. And that is because of the great parenting they have received. And that's because of the fact that they sat there at the kitchen table with their parents for 20 years and saw how committed they were to their workplace. Uh, and then one day the phone rang in their workplace that they worked for 20 years said, I'm sorry, we're going through mass layoffs and now you're done. And that was it. And they got a severance package and they went on their merry way. And they said, well, what's, what's the good in this faith? And what's the good in this commitment that my parents had to these big organizations that just let them go as soon as times got bad? And so they, they've seen it and they expect more. They want to be connected to cause organizations. They want to know the vision. They want to know that they're making a real impact. Even if, they, like you said, if, if it means pressing a button today, but knowing that pressing that button and doing it right is going to help to get five homeless people off the street off the, over the course of the year, that's exciting and empowering to those individuals. And I think that that is, you know, one of the things that's kind of connected with me recently with, when you talk about that, uh, you know, the things we learn at work. So we're a mission-based organization, and, and I get asked about it all the time because we, we give 5% of our business away. We give 3% of our revenue, 1% of our time, and 1% of our product. And I'm not shy of talking about it because my hope is that the more we talk about it, the more we influence others to give and that we can have a, a sort of a raindrop effect on the ocean here of that we can help others to, to commit to giving more. But, but interestingly, that was not something that was – that was not a conversation that ever took place in my household. We were – barely scraping by. I was a kid who was nine years old, making himself dinner on the stove with a burner. Like I could not imagine my nine-year-old turning on the burner when I walked out of the house right now and just, you know, kind of fending for myself, creating some, some sense of, of independence in that respect. But, but those other things, those other lessons I missed out on, I, I got at work. I'll never forget being at work, going and serving at the Ronald McDonald house, making dinner, sitting down and talking with the parents and just understanding like, oh, wow, our time and energy, how we spend it can make such a difference in somebody else's life. And that cost me nothing, 
right? So you hear a lot of people talk about, I don't have, you know, I'm barely scraping by. I don't have any, it didn't cost me any money to go to the Ronald McDonald house. Now, was it my idea to go? No, not initially, but now it is. And now I can help spread that message. You, you hit on something earlier that I just think is when you talk about leadership and you're, you own a small business or you're part of a smaller team, you know, my commitment to the people here is just one thing. And that is you will be better when you left, leave here than when you started here. And if that does not happen, then I have completely failed you as a leader and as a teammate. And so that, that is the one thing that we can offer is the commitment to helping people to get better personally and professionally. And that is something that I take very seriously. And quite frankly, the, the thing that I, get the most satisfaction out of is when I have a conversation with somebody that's been gone for two years and they're like, Oh man, I just, I grew so much while I was there. And and that is so awesome. And, and to me, that's what it's about. It is about helping someone become the best version of themselves. And then sometimes it costs you something, but sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes it's that simple conversation that the CPA could have had. Sometimes it's the training that we give our staff, it's the development that we give our staff, it's the care. You know, I tend to be that way with everybody. I went to a Tony Robbins um, event a couple years ago. Love Tony Robbins. So I've I've gone to almost all all of his. You're going, I'm telling you, as soon as it comes. Don't go now because you have to have the experience. I walked on fire, by the way. The third one that I went to, was it? No, actually the fourth one I went to. It was a great experience. But he asked you, what is your life question? So I had two aha moments. One was during that session, I discovered my question was, how can I help? And that is my question. Every time I meet someone in my circle, it's always, how can I help? And how, in in other words, what you're saying is, how can I leave you better than I found you? And I was a, a guest on a podcast actually about a month ago. And this was real to me because I didn't really think about it. But the guy asked me the question was, who, who is your, growing up, who was your model? Who was your, your icon or, or that person that you looked up to to help you become who, who you are? And as I started, I said my father, but as I just, dis- I started defining why, and I started listening to myself and I was like, oh man, that's where I get my life question from. Mm. Because my father displayed that to me. He was always that person, never met a stranger, always trying to help somebody, whatever resources he had, they had. And and my mantra is, you know, if I know it, you know it. I love sharing information, which is I love devouring information, but I love, I love sharing information. And it's important to live that that selfless life. So you talked about, you know, giving back. And, and Dr. Lewis Lynn is one of my mentors here locally. Uh, he owns a, I guess it's a second generational. Yeah, I guess it's a second generational small business here in Colombia. Very successful. Uh, he talks about paying your civic rent, right? Mm. It's about that that give back. So I always want to be in that position where I can pay it back. I can pay it forward. For example, with our Eat, Learn, and Grow segment that we do for small businesses, you know, I don't charge anybody for that. And that's just an opportunity for us to come together and for me to share my wisdom with other like-minded small businesses. Because if I can help them grow, guess what? A small business that grows, it helps our community, right? They, they create jobs for our community. They can give back to our community. They can do like you do, pay more civic rent for our community. And, and it's just really our ability to help others. So that's another reason, you know, again, I, I, lo- I look back on our connection and, and the things that work really well in my mind, or I think why we're connected is because of that, that like-minded thought process. 
Well, and if you're listening, think about that. So, so there's always this sort of chain or ladder, right? And it's not about authority or, or position, but it's kind of a knowledge-based chain, right? So Dr. Lynn shares with Karen, Karen shares with me, like, you know, we, we kind of pass the ladder down and, you know, I'm going to share it with somebody who's the next generation of entrepreneur or who who's the next stage of their career and trying to move forward. Like, no, no matter going back to that, you know, service mentality of, okay, Hey, I don't have a lot of money to give. Well, you got some time, right? Or you've right. got some expertise or you've got something to share with this world where you don't have to be the foremost expert on something and the most successful person in the world to mentor, serve and help other people. And so I think that's something where, you know, it's become very in vogue to talk about the, uh, what's it called? Where, where we're a little bit scared to share what, what we know because we are, uh, you know, we're worried that what people might think that we're not really the expert, we're not really right. the person who, you know, should be sharing like what, but, but at the same time, like I said, there's always somebody who doesn't know what you know that can, you can help serve. And so why not share it? Why not be somebody of value to somebody else? Definitely, definitely, definitely. You know, we've been talking a little bit. Imposter love- syndrome. Dang it. I knew it would come. Imposter syndrome. But, right? you know, and here's here's what I will tell you as it pertains to imposter syndrome. So I'm glad you brought that up. And I'll use it in, in this instance. So this is small. My name not have anything to do with your example. But so in, in some of our coaching and training sessions, we, we talk about professional speaking, right, or presentation skills. And there's always that person that gets up in front of the room and they forget what they have about to say. And then they go, oh, I'm sorry. I, I messed up. Let me start over. And I'm like, okay, pause right there. First of all, I don't know your speech. I don't know what you're getting ready to say. So why would you tell me that you messed up? Just pause, take a deep breath and carry on. You know, it's not an imposter thing. It's a you just forgot thing. And every person that I know, every successful person that I know uh, in business, in life, TV people, all of them, are just people. And when they started doing whatever it is that they're doing, there was a time when they didn't know what they were doing. They had to learn it. So it's kind of where do you meet that person on their journey? Are you meeting them at the beginning where they're just learning? Or are you meeting them in the middle or on the end? I don't think there's anything. You know, there may be some people that decide, okay, I don't have any experience in this particular thing. And I'm going to put a, a little rafter out and say, hey, I'm in business. That I would call an imposter if you're trying to sell something that you're not. But what? let's say you're trying to sell something and you don't know anything about it, but you went and hired three other people that had the expertise and you were just the boss. Nothing wrong with that. That's not imposter syndrome. That's smart, right? You've mm-hmm. got a commodity that somebody else needed. So I, I, I think people should have more confidence in themselves. I, I, here's one thing I share with my team. Because I'm trying to get my team, at least my internal team, to step up more to take ownership more, to give them the vision of here's where we're going, but don't wait for me to do it. I need y'all to own it. And I and I tell them, I come to my seat in my position with a level of confidence, not because I know everything, because I don't know everything. Now I'll go research some stuff and I'll look up some stuff and I love learning, I love reading, I keep audible books on my phone all day long and, and all this other good stuff. The reason I can walk with confidence is because I'm resourceful. And if you think about it from that perspective, then everybody should be able to walk with a level of confidence because everybody has access to information. And if you don't have access to information, you have access to people with information. So 
I'm not going to say come across as cocky, but come across with a level of confidence knowing that if I don't know the answer, I know how to go out and find it. It's funny. It reminded me. So, so Tony Robbins has a, a very famous quote, success leaves clues. And th there are very few things that you could want to do right now that have not been done. And so a quick Google search will find you a roadmap to whatever it is you're trying to uh, achieve or whatever it is you want to learn. And resourcefulness for me when I'm trying to hire is like the number one quality. Like yeah. when I look back at our best people that are here today and, and have or have left it, the number one quality that I think about, especially as you're a nimble growing organization, when roles are changing, things are changing constantly. We're in a fast, you know. We're in an environment where, heck, in our world, human resources, I mean, things are changing daily, especially in this COVID world. I mean, we've got to literally learn a law and then educate our clients on it in the course of a day sometimes. <laughs> and so resourcefulness is huge. If people are just going to, you know, pucker back in their shell and go, oh, well, you know, th this is out of my comfort zone. I'm not going to do it. Then then this is a terrible place for them. But you, you're touching on some great points there. And, and accountability is something that is challenging to teach for sure, but it is something that people continue to get their own comfort level with the more that they're in a role. Definitely, definitely. This has been great, Matt. And you know, I, I'll have you back. I, I won't. I know we can't go any further because I promised you thirty minutes, but I'll definitely have you back again if, if you agree to join me. I want you to share a little bit before I give your your farewell greeting that I promised. I want you to give us your last tips. So if you could give one piece of leadership advice to our listeners, what would that be? You know, there's something I have been doing. It's right over here on my wall. I've been doing it for about 20 years. It's, a, it's an acronym by the great coach Lou Holtz. He was a coach here at the University of South Carolina for a period of time, coach at University of Notre Dame, football coach. And he, he told his players at Notre Dame, he said to ask themselves this question 35 times a day, what's important now and when w i n and so i've i've got that all over my life i've been doing it for about 20 years because it helps me to focus in and and how this translates to being a better leader is the, that conversation when somebody's here in my office and i've got my two screens up in front of me and email going and the phone going and i i've got a million things going on well when i look at that on my wall i know oh it's time for me to listen it's time for me to focus in on this individual. When I see it on the dash of my truck, I know, oops, it's time for me to stop fiddling with my phone and focus on the road and get home to my family or get where I'm going safely. And it just recalibrates whatever you're doing and puts you into the right mindset of, okay, what, what should my priority be right at the moment? And if you ask yourself what's important now 35 times a day and consistently reprioritize what you're doing, you'll quickly learn that you're doing a lot of things that are not the priority of what you're doing, you should be doing at that time. And that has been something that's been paramount to me. And it's just when you talk about creating that balance, you'll never create balance without prioritization and you'll spend a lot of time doing work for work's sake. And so for me, that's been uh, just an absolute game changer for my life and my career. Matt Vinny. Yes. <laughs> thank you so much, Matt Vinny. Ah, uh, thank so you. That's no. my greeting, my listeners. Anytime I call Matt, um, it's just something about Matt's spirit that I, this required me to change his name from Matt Vinny to Matt Vinny. So that's who he is. And I, I welcome you to come back and join us again, Matt. I thank you so much for spending this time with us today and giving our listeners your just great wisdom and, and look forward to doing it again. Y'all find yourself a friend who says your name like Karen says mine. 
There you go. Always. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Synergy Leadership Podcast with Karen R. Jenkins. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe, rate, review, and share our show. See you next time 